Hi, this is John, by the way, and today I'm looking at uh, the Come Follow Me curriculum, Matthew 3, Mark 1, and Luke 3. And as you know, and I'm sorry if you get tired of hearing me say this, if you're one of the listeners to this little thing, I have no idea how many are listening, (laughs) but I do a Follow Him podcast with Hank Smith and a guest. And what I like to do on this is just a couple of other things I wish I had had time to say on the big podcast and things that are like especially interesting to me. And today in Matthew 3, I'm especially interested in the baptism of Jesus. It's always an interesting story to think of Jesus being baptized and why he wanted to be baptized and why he wanted us to know that he wanted to be baptized to set that perfect example for us. And this whole thing about John the Baptist is so fascinating that all the Gospels mention it. I hope we never minimize the idea of being John only the Baptist because Jesus called him a prophet and said among, there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist just seemed to come fully prepared. He was, he fully got it. I I just feel like when we read about the 12, they were learning. They had this learning curve, but John the Baptist seems to have come just fully hit the ground running. Maybe that's a good way to put it. He was he was filled with the Holy Ghost of very young age, and um, John the Baptist, a great prophet, and and that's why all of the Gospels mention him. But in Matthew three, we see this this story of John saying Matthew three eleven, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. He that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, to me, the interesting thing is John is out in the wilderness and the scribes and Pharisees come to him and John says to them in verse 7 of Matthew 3, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? The thing that I've always found interesting is in our theology, baptism has always been a thing. If you read baptism in the Bible dictionary, we believe that Adam was baptized, that it's always been a thing even before Jesus. But if you read the Bible, you never even read the word baptism until you get into the New Testament. Well, what what was going on? Why was there baptism before that? We read in the Book of Mormon there was baptism before Jesus came. It has always been a thing, but we don't encounter it in the New Testament until the Book of John. What I'm intrigued with is here's John the Baptist, and the scribes and Pharisees don't come to him and say, what are you doing? Why are you putting people under the water and pulling them out again? I think they recognize that. Their question was, who are you? (laughs) John the Baptist, not what are you doing? So, In the 1989 Sperry Symposium on the Old Testament, they used to publish these books every year. This one's called A Witness of Jesus Christ, the 1989 Sperry Symposium on the Old Testament. Brother Edward J. Brandt wrote an article about, it was called The Law of Moses and the Law of Christ, and he wrote about the mikveh, M-I-K-V-E-H. And Let me read this excerpt because I think this helps me understand what was going on and why the scribes and Pharisees didn't ask John the Baptist what he was doing, but more of who are you. 
So here's the excerpt from Brother Brandt. When Judah and the Jews fell into apostasy and lost the priesthood, they took the principle of baptism and some of these washings and mixed them together, forming a new interpretation and initiating the tradition that is still practiced today. They call it the mikveh, meaning gathering of water. It is a ritual bath, an immersion of cleansing or washing. Jews of varying religious interpretations use it in a variety of different ways. Some do it once or twice in their lifetime, whereas others do it frequently. In Qumran, near the Dead Sea, are numerous of these washing pools. They look like baptismal fonts, but they are the mikveh bath of the Jews who live there. The ancient fortress of Masada likewise has these pools. The excavations south of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem also reveal many mikveh. So, this is John talking now, this is me, but if you go to the Holy Land and take a tour, you'll see the place where they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, and it looks like there's all these baptismal fonts all over the place. But they would say, no, these are purification baths. And if you take a trip to the Holy Land, they'll even show you a movie before you tour the area of where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found and show these, these followers being immersed in these mikveh baths. Okay, back to Brother Brandt. The reintroduction of gospel principles in Jesus' day came with John, who was to prepare the way. Was there great concern over John the Baptist's immersing of or cleansing people? No, they never raised a question about that. Why? Because the mikveh bath of purification was a common practice and part of their religious worship. It was not a strange thing. In fact, Jewish law says the purest form of washing in the mikveh is with a running stream. When John chose to baptize in the Jordan River, he chose the purest pool of washing that their tradition allowed. Why then all the contention about John the Baptist? Because of his message. He announced himself as one sent to prepare the way for the Messiah. It was the directness of this theological assertion that threatened the Jewish leaders. He also came with priesthood authority and power to baptize and restored the ordinance of baptism to its proper order. The great Laverne Basin in the Temple of Solomon was a baptismal font for the living. That knowledge was lost from the Old Testament record as we have it. That is why this restored text in the Matthew account of the Savior's teaching to the Pharisees who had developed another tradition is so important. Okay, one more paragraph from Brother Brandt. The full history of the mikveh bath is very difficult to trace. By the time the recorded oral tradition of the Jews was established, which is called the Mishnah, the tradition and practice of the mikveh was firmly in place. It obviously had Old Testament roots. The Mishnah is usually dated as early as 200 BC. Again, that's an oral tradition of the Jews that finally was written down to 200 BC. The mikveh bath is an apostate form of baptism that came down from the Old Testament times with this modified purpose. The full significance of the baptismal, baptismal ordinance had been lost to them. The Mishnaic, in other words from the Mishnah tradition, specified that the convert to Judaism must fulfill three requirements. First, male converts had to be circumcised. Second, all converts were to wash themselves clean by immersion in a mikveh bath. Third, they were to offer sacrifice in the temple. Many Jews were never able to make such a pilgrimage during the, the time of the temple. How then 
Did they fulfill the requirement of sacrifice? They commissioned another person to offer a proxy sacrifice for them. After the temple was destroyed, how was the requirement of sacrifice satisfied? The traditional rabbinical substitute for the law of sacrifice and offerings was prayer and the study of the Torah. Anyway, what I find fascinating there is that that is why they didn't ask John the Baptist, what are you doing? Why are you dunking people in the water? They knew what he was doing. It was to them a mikvah bath, but John knew that it was a baptism. Jesus knew that and then asked John the baptize, as we know, and saying, it fulfilleth us, it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And baptism is a beginning. It's a symbol of being born again, of going under the water. In fact, Paul says we're buried with him by baptism, and then we walk in newness of life. So it could symbolize a burial and a rebirth, a burial and a resurrection, all of those things, this new beginning of baptism. When I think about the first principles and ordinances of the gospel, first faith, second repent, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, second repentance, third baptism. See, for us, we think of baptism as an event. We can find the day that we were baptized when we look at our church records. But being born again is a process. And baptism is a part of that process. But when I think about the continual efforts to have faith in Jesus Christ, the continual efforts to repent every day, every week, every hour practically, then baptism is this event in the middle of all these processes. And so I like to think of that baptism event of as part of that process of being born again. So the process of developing faith in Jesus Christ, the process of repentance, the process of being born again, and the process of following the Holy Ghost. Those first principles, it helps me to think of it that way, that I'm st it's still part of this process of being born again. One of the interesting things that we find in the Book of Mormon in particularly Alma chapter 5, is Alma going to preach to those who are already members of the church, and he says it over and over again in Alma 5, Oh, all ye that, are, that, are, that have joined the church, have you been born again? And it's interesting, well, they're members of the church, they've been baptized, but he's asking them, have you been born of God? Have you been born of the Spirit? So I like to think of it as similar to I have a temple wedding, but do I have a celestial marriage? A temple wedding, I can point to the date of getting married in the temple, but do I have a celestial marriage? One is an event, another is an ongoing striving and an ongoing process. So the ongoing striving of being born again symbolized the beginning of an event of baptism, but now is a process of being born again. I hope that makes sense. It helps me to think of it that way. I'm just intrigued with things that the Lord has us repeat. And he has us repeat the partaking of the sacrament every week, and which is an ongoing process of being born again. I'm so grateful he lets us come back every week and do that. 
And sometimes we say we are renewing our covenants of baptism. Yeah, we're remembering them. We're still making progress on that road, that covenant path. Baptism is spoken of as a gate in Second Nephi chapter 31. And I feel like the, the straight and narrow path spoken of in the Bible has elements added to it throughout the other scriptures, like there's a gate to this straight and narrow path. There's also opposition on this straight and narrow path called the great spacious building. There's also an objective, the tree of life, where we continually partake of the love of God type of a thing. So this baptism is, to me, one of the most, the most important thing to me in Matthew 3 is the baptism of Jesus. And then in verse 17, Lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. A beautiful indicator of how we look at the Godhead in our theology, that there is a Father in heaven, and this voice came from heaven, and the voice said, This is my beloved Son. My friend and colleague Brad Wilcox mentioned in a talk once that this kind of gives us a model of how we should speak about members of our family. This is just a way to apply this verse. Is Notice the father didn't just say, this is my son, but this is my beloved son. I love him, in whom I am well pleased, and I'm so pleased with. How do we talk about members of our family in public, in front of others? I remember President Kimball and others talking about, sometimes we joke about our spouses, but they can be hurtful jokes. Oh, my wife is so this. Oh, my husband is always this. But notice this model the Father gives us. This is my son. I love him. I am so pleased with him. There's a perfect father talking about members of his family in a very public setting. If you'll notice the footnote to Matthew 3, 17, because it's very rare that we hear the voice of the Father anywhere, it's fun to look at the footnotes. Where else might we hear the voice of the Father. Well, the footnotes that you'll see, footnote 17b, Matthew 17, verse 5. This is the Mount of Transfiguration, where the voice of the Father is heard. Third Nephi 11. This is when the resurrected Jesus appeared to the Nephites and Lamanites in the New World. There were Lamanites there too. And Joseph Smith History 117 is the first vision and how consistently the Father, when he appears, says the same thing. Jesus is our mediator, our intercessor, our advocate, and so when the Father appears, he always speaks of the Son. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. In the first vision, hear him. He's the one who will take you back to the Father. So as our intercessor, mediator, advocate, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. We don't pray in our own name. We pray in the name of Christ, who is our intercessor mediator, who says over and over again, as we talked last week about the book of John, he will take us back to the... Last week, I mentioned that the book of John has a mention of the Father in every single chapter, except for John chapter 21, that Jesus was going to take us back to the Father. Now, just one last thing. It's, I think we may have mentioned this on Follow Him podcast, but I don't remember, is the fact that the Jordan River is below sea level and the Dead Sea is below sea level. And for the Savior to 
in a literal, physical, topographical, geographical way, descend below all things. To go into the Jordan River to be baptized is, is interesting. He descended below all things in the way he was treated as well. And perhaps one of the many meanings of the angel asking Nephi, knowest thou the condescension of God, what Jesus did and how he descended below all things, even going to the lowest river on earth, if I understand correctly, the Jordan River to be baptized there. Descending below all things in that way is, is interesting. Now, if you would like this book, I think I found it at the Desert Industries, A Witness of Jesus Christ, 1989 Sperry Symposium, is all online. If you go to, in fact, all you have to do is Google Edward J. Brandt and mikvah, and it'll come right up. I'm looking at the rsc.byu.edu. RSC means Religious Study Center, rsc.byu.edu. And there's a, a book there, the whole thing online, Sperry Symposium Classics, and this entire article, The Law of Moses and the Law of Christ by Edward J. Brandt is there, which helped me understand more about baptism in the mikvah and why it wasn't confusing to them what John was doing. It was more of, who are you, John, or who do you think you are? And we all know that John the Baptist was the forerunner to come and pave the way for Christ, and he knew it, and the Savior knew it. Well, I hope this has been helpful for you today. I'm grateful for these first principles of the gospel and their repetition in this process of staying on the covenant path, faith in Christ, repentance, baptism, or the continual process of being born again and of following that gift of the Holy Ghost, which we've been given. Thanks, and we'll talk to you next time.